St. Dominic's Catholic Church in San Francisco presents a homily by Reverend Pastor Father Michael Hurley on December 1st, 2019, the first Sunday of Advent. Today's Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, verses 37 to 44, proclaimed by Deacon Charles McNeil. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on which day the Lord will come. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house get broken into. So too you also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. The Gospel of the Lord. Exploring the Marin Headlands is a favorite uh, pastime uh, of mine, and in the headlands there's a little bit of a jewel there called the Marine Mammal Center. Just out of curiosity, by show of hands, who's been to the Marine Mammal or knows about Oh, wow, lots of folks. If you haven't been there, certainly recommendable. It's a little bit of a refuge, almost a hospital for marine life that has been injured or abandoned. And if you walk into the center, there is an observation deck on which you can look in and see uh, the different animals as they uh, feed, as they frolic and play around, or convalesce. And at any one time, there might be kind of the 
the, the regal sea lions barking at each other or the huge elephant seals or perhaps my favorite, the sea otters. Right? As they play and frolic and they, they, of course, they've got that wonderful auburn, ruddy coloring oftentimes to their fur. I mean, who, after all, can resist a redhead? Hmm? The history of the Marine Life Center actually goes back in the 1950s and 60s, owned by the Army. And what was there? The Nike ballistic missiles, right? So all the protection of this coast was right there in the Marine Headlands, all those weapons of war there. And when it was decommissioned in the Army in the early 1970s, that land was purchased by this nonprofit organization that set up this marine uh, refuge center. And if you enter in to the front door, there is very strikingly this dedication plaque. And on the plaque are the names of the folks involved, the benefactors, uh, those who are in charge, and the date and so forth. And then right in the middle, a vision statement, a statement of mission for everything that goes on in that place. And that vision is articulated by none other than the prophet Isaiah, written in stone outside that center. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. No longer shall nations rise and prepare for war against each other. So that Marine Life Center sees in a very, very small way their mission as a kind of microcosm of the prophecy that the Lord God will send, will send his son, a Messiah, an anointed one who will bring peace, who will take those tools, those weapons of war and destruction and transform them into weapons, not weapons, but to tools that build up culture, that bring out the best in human endeavor and ingenuity. And that prophecy is exactly what we hear on this first Sunday of Advent. The promise of Advent is the prophecy that Christ will bring peace to our minds, our hearts, our family, our community, our nation. Do we believe it? Do we believe the Lord can bring that peace? He can transform those aspects of our lives, conflict, sense of weapon and destruction, into the very means by which we indeed connect with him? Well, what would that look like? Well, in order to do this, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive. Here it is. Advent, season for peace. And so, two notions there, Advent and peace. Do a little history, a little language. It's gonna be. It's gonna be at least a credit and a half, right? You ready for the deep dive? Fasten your seatbelt. We'll start with Advent. Comes from the Latin, Adventus, right? And oftentimes we think of it as a looking back, a kind of nostalgia, two thousand years ago to Christ's birth, or we might look ahead to that second coming, right? A kind of expectation or anticipation. But beyond that, more ancient. Not Latin, but what's more ancient than Latin? Greek. And in Greek, the word is parousia or parousia. 
And it doesn't mean waiting. It doesn't mean anticipation. It means presence. It means appearance. It means literally arrival. Arrival. And, and so Advent, not simply a kind of looking back, although we certainly do to prepare for the celebration of the birth of Christ, not simply a looking towards the second coming that we anticipate, but Advent, a parousia, is an opening of our heart to this moment, to the now. This is why in the gospel Jesus says with all urgency to be prepared, to be awake, and then he compares the coming of the Son of Man to something which is quite dramatic. What does he compare it to? A burglar breaking in, a thief. The Son of God is like a thief trying to break in to your home, into your life. And make no mistake, when the Son of Man comes into your life and he breaks in, he's not looking to simply rearrange the furniture. He's looking to steal your heart. He's looking to come in and possess all of what you have. Make your possessions his possessions. Parousia is the now, this present moment, the arrival of Christ breaking into our lives. Are we ready to receive that? And this leads to that next concept of peace. How is the Lord breaking in? What does he want to give? How does he want to possess us with his peace? Now, the concept, the term peace, known in every language, known in every culture, and oftentimes we think of it as a kind of absence of conflict, a cessation of war and violence. And yet, St. Augustine looks at that, and he defines peace as tranquillitatis ordinis, and Aquinas after him, the tranquility of order. And this comes from the rich biblical notion of the idea of peace. In Hebrew, in fact, I'm sure some of you know the Hebrew word for peace. It's used as a greeting by Jewish people even to today. What's the, what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom, exactly, shalom. And it's not simply a greeting. In the Bible, there's this wonderful, wonderful legacy of shalom as meaning completeness, of meaning wholeness of harmony. It's first used for the stone of the altar. It cannot have any imperfection or chip or break. It needs to be complete and whole. It's then used for the city walls, a kind of complexity of how the wall was built has to be totally integrated into one whole. Job, remember the story of Job? He suffers, he has trials and so forth. He says that his tents are in shalom. When what? When he can Count all his sheep again when his, when his flocks and his family are all being restored to him. A sense of harmony of order. A sense of the complexity of many different aspects of our lives all around a central principle of harmony and order. And the Bible goes further. It's not simply a state of being or used as a noun. It's actually an action. You can shalom. You can actually create shalom. And so Solomon, that great king, what does he do? He creates shalom by finishing the beautiful temple, that place which organizes all of worship for the Israelite people to offer holocaust and first fruits to the Lord, to put them in connection with the covenant, to create shalom. And this is the mandate, this is the mission of the kings of Israel, to create shalom, 
to create peace, to not only say to the other nations, I won't kill you, don't kill us, let's lay down our arms, a kind of treaty. Shalom is where peoples work together towards opening up that horizon of God's covenant to worship and to be gathered on that holy mountain, as Isaiah says. That's what shalom is. And of course, the kings of Israel do this, right? Kings of Israel are wonderful. They never fall. Or do they? Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the Old Testament, the kings are a disaster. <laughs> they do not create shalom in any way. In any way. And so the prophets come and say, hey, there's a, it's, it's a hot mess out there, to paraphrase. And if you pick up the newspaper, lest we sit back in judgment, we can see our world, our country. Uh, the last week and a half, I think there's been six shootings in the Bay Area. Young people killed, gun violence. The front page today is about how drugs are destroying teenagers. Middle school, drugs in middle school and in high school. Do we have a sense of shalom in our world any more than they did back in the days of Isaiah? Absolutely not. And so what's this promise? This promise is, Lord, where are you? Where is that shalom? Isaiah says, you can't do it on your own. Human endeavor cannot create the kind of peace that will last. And so what happens? Isaiah says, the Lord himself will do this. He promises a prince of shalom who will come. And St. Paul in that second reading to the Romans says this is fulfilled in who? In the person of Jesus Christ, who not only brings that sense of peace, but is our peace. In Greek, erene. Christ Jesus is our peace. He brings our lives, our hearts, our family, our community into completeness, into wholeness, into harmony with his Father, restoring and healing in every way. Do we want the parousia of Christ, the presence of Christ, to inhabit our hearts and lives? Do we want to make space for that? And I think we all want to say yes, amen to that. How do we do that? Like any spiritual virtue, if we want to receive it, we have to endeavor first to give it. To share it because the action of sharing it opens our lives to receive it. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to share shalom. In the responsorial psalm, so beautifully chanted by our choir, what does David say? He says, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem to call down God's peace. Pray for peace in your homes, in your families. Pray for that peace. What might that look like in your life? Let's face it, this time of year, we look at our culture, is hectic. It's, it's busy. It's anything but a peaceful time of year. In the United States, we travel more in this time of year than at any other time. We shop this time of year more than any other time. We are on the highways, and there are more accidents on the road at this time of year than any other time of year. There is more money spent at this time of year than any. It's busy, let's face it. How can we possibly have tranquility and order of mind if we're pulled in every different direction? 
Peace needs to start in our minds and hearts. That's why we have our little Advent booklets, five minutes a day, to center ourselves that we might experience the presence, the parousia, the arrival of our Lord Jesus who can give orientation, who can give focus to everything else we needfully need to do or for which the season calls us and demands of us. But not only that, but this time of year often puts us in connection with family members, with relatives as we celebrate holy days. And of course, when we meet with family, it's a wonderful experience. It's joyful. There's never any reason why we might dispute or have hard feelings towards the one we love, right? Okay, maybe. There might be a person or two who we are close with which rubs us or who rubs us the wrong way. Let's face it, those who are closest to us have the ability to hurt us most deeply. Why? Because we've opened our hearts to them, right? And we're human, no one's perfect, which means we're going to fail. And those who we're closest to, we fail most grievously. What would it look like for us to perhaps let go of family hurts? of ways in which we were wounded, to reconcile, to find a way forward as this season puts us into contact with one another. Even here in this moment, every time we celebrate Mass, it is a mini parousia, a moment of the encounter, the arrival, the presence of our Lord. When does that happen? It's going to happen about 20 minutes. You're going to come up and receive communion, right? Either sacramentally or spiritually. And when the Lord Jesus comes into your mind and heart, your very being, he's there to bring you his peace. He's there to give a sense of order and tranquility, a harmony in your lives. And yet, how will you receive that? Will you be in the state of mind to do this? This is why right before you receive the Prince of Peace, what do we have liturgically? We have the priest offer that peace. Father Vincent will say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And you'll say, we're going to try that again. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. That's just not saying hello to the priest, right? That is the person of Christ, us responding to say, Lord, your will is what I will. Whatever impediment, whatever blockage, whatever way in which I, and let's face it, our lives are this complex web of relationships and circumstances, and those are out of alignment. Our shalom is lost. We say, Lord, help to realign my life, right? And then, then after we acknowledge that with the Lord, then Deacon Chuck will say what? Now offer, turn to one another, and offer the sign of peace. This is not social hour. This is not, hey, where are you going for lunch? Good to see you, right? That's, that's after mass, right? I love the social moment. This is not a social moment. What is it? It's a symbolic liturgical moment where the person sitting next to you represents all your relationships, represents every person and circumstance in your life. And you, with open heart, Offer shalom. 
You offer peace. You make peace and reconcile with whatever might be holding your heart back from receiving the Prince of Peace. Perhaps one of the most familiar and famous prayers that call down that sense of being a peacemaker is that prayer to St. Francis, right? We know this prayer, some of us. It starts, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Perhaps it might be a good prayer for us during this season of parousia, this adventus of our Lord, because that first verse in a particular way, and the whole prayer, is almost like a little bit of a checklist of how is it that we are peacemakers? How is it that we give the peace of Christ that we might receive the fullness of that harmony, of that order that he so eagerly desires to give? Let me end simply by praying that first verse. And if you know it, to join me. To join me. How does it start? Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, Hope, where there is sadness, joy. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Shalom. Peace be with you. Amen.